0: introduced the 110 Ultralight. Savage has teamed up with Proof Research once again to craft a barrel specific for a purpose-driven firearm. At around 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory-blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon-fiber-wrapped stainless steel barrel and melanite-skeletonized receiver minimize weight for success on any mountain hunt. Now I could go on and on about all the good things about this firearm, but what you need to do is go to savagearms.com, check out the 110 Ultralight. They have it available for the 308 Win Mag, the 270 Win Mag, the 28 Nosler, the 28 Ackley Improved, the 36 Springfield, and so on and so on and so on. They got it for just about uh, any cartridge. So what you need to do, is go to savagearms.com check this rifle out it's a badass rifle savagearms.com
1: this is the average conservationist podcast brought to you in partner with two percent for conservation two percent for conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife one percent of time plus one percent of money equals two percent for conservation contractors coffee roasters and even piano repair companies have earned two percent certification and stand out as leaders in their communities businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop learn more about two percent for conservation at fishandwildlife.org that's (laughs) fishandwildlife.org All right, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host Marcus Ewing, and this is episode 15. Uh, so I gotta say, if it sounds kind of echoey or the audio for the intro here is not um, maybe what uh, maybe what you're used to hearing, uh, that is because I am actually recording this intro um, in the front seat of a rental car as i sit in bozeman montana Um, our family's taking a kind of a a western road trip here as i've mentioned in a few other episodes Uh, and today it was 50 degrees 40 degrees and raining all day so to try to find some time um was not very easy and to get uh you know a little bit of time to, to do the editing and everything on this just uh, wasn't in the cards. So uh, we got the kids to sleep, and here I am um, late in the late in the night uh, doing some recording, uh, sitting in a rental car. So uh, I apologize in advance if uh, the audio for the first part of this uh, is not um, is not great. Uh, but today on the podcast, I'm joined by Paul Peterson of First Light. Uh, Paul is the social media manager uh, with First Light and uh, Paul and I, we, uh, we have a pretty good conversation about really all things uh, First Light and conservation uh, and really uh, we spend a lot of time focusing on kind of the the public land movement uh, that there has been over the last you know five to ten years uh, as it pertains to to hunting. Um, you know we we go into, you know, a lot about First Light and, you know, why conservation uh, is so important to, to them as a company. And, you know, for any of you that have, you know, been following along with with First Light, you see, you know, a lot of their social media posts and, and things like that. And even, you know, down to their website where you can, um, you know, round up your purchase and, and donate to, um, you know, a, a handful of uh, various conservation organizations that they have, um, kind of predetermined for you. So we, we go over a lot of that stuff and, uh, it's really cool to hear about, uh, you know, the culture at first light and, you know, how it is that all of their employees are so dedicated, uh, to the outdoors and to conservation. And, uh, you know, Paul does a great job of really kind of putting that into, uh, you know, painting a, a good picture for that, so, uh, again, this week's episode, uh, Paul Peterson of First Light, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. All right. Joining me today on the phone from 2% Certified Business First Light,
2: I have Paul Peterson. Paul, how's everything going today, man? Going great, man. Thanks for having me on, Marcus.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking some time. I know it's kind of the middle of your work day there. I know before we started recording, you were telling me that you're just getting back into Idaho there and you were spending some time here in the Midwest, so you're kind of doing a self-quarantine before you get back into uh, into the office or anything like that. And I know this is, especially for, for a company like First Light, this is a uh, pretty busy time of year. People are trying to get last minute things or, you know, guys are getting out into the woods know, um, the mountains, I should say, out there. So I, 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 uh, I really appreciate you taking some time.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. No, happy to do it.
1: Happy to do it. So before we kind of jump into things here, Paul, tell me what it is that you do uh, at First Light.
2: Yep. So uh, just recently in the last couple of months I I took over our social media efforts. So my title is social media manager. Prior to that I worked in customer service for close to two and a half years. Um, I help out on the marketing team now. That's my, my main role and what you see on Instagram and Facebook that's I'm the guy it comes from. It's a team effort but at the end of the day I'm the guy that pushes go.
1: Okay. All right. Well, yeah. yeah, you guys have a really great social media page, man. So kudos to you. You're doing a great job.
2: Hey, thanks. Yeah, it takes, like I said, total team effort. The team makes me look good most of the time. <laughs> That's
1: usually how a team teams work, right? Like one person kind of gets the credit for it, but everyone working towards the same common goal is usually what gets you there. Yeah. No, we've got an awesome crew. It, it makes it easy. Yeah. So before we get too much into first light here, Paul, I want to understand a little bit, like, so how were you, I guess, introduced to to hunting and fishing and the outdoors?
2: I just grew up with it. It's really all I've ever known. My dad's a a lifelong hunter and a fisherman and a, a general outdoorsman, big cross-country skier. I uh, love drive bikes, just always doing doing something outside and I grew up just chasing dad around the woods and I can't remember the first time I, I went hunting or fishing or skiing. It, it was just always something I was doing. So I was pretty fortunate that way. Yeah. I feel like
1: that's, that's the same for a lot of us, Midwestern guys, right? Is you just, it was kind of a, it was a family thing, a family tradition and you know, chasing or like you said following your dad around in the woods you know wanting to to hang out with him wanting to do the stuff that he was doing or your grandpa or your uncle or whatever it was and it's funny how something like that kind of materializes over time and turns into you know for a lot of us an obsession
2: you know 100 percent. i mean he got me started in in one direction and i've pursued hunting maybe to a level that at times was questionable to him <laughs> not always aligned with the career path if you will uh, but it's what i was passionate about and he and my family definitely instilled that early on
1: yeah so he's got no one to blame but himself then oh. yeah.
2: <laughs> That's a very good point. yeah
1: so at what point in your life did conservation like what, when was there kind of like um, the aha moment or the switch went off to where You were just, you know, you know, a very avid outdoorsman, whether it was hunting or fishing to wanting to really get involved in um, conservation, because I know not only is First Light, obviously uh, one of the very first um, 2% certified companies, uh, but you're also a committee member for 2%, right? Correct. Yeah. So at, at what point was it that, you know, giving back your time and stuff like that became a, you know, something that was very important to you?
2: I think it, yeah, I've got to, I've got to kind of think about it cause I don't, I don't know that there was a singular, aha uh-huh moment. I think mm-hmm. it was sort of progression and a result of getting more and more involved in, in hunting and fishing in a, in a professional sense, perhaps I, I can remember, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, I went to college in Wisconsin, loved to hunt white tails. Uh, the CWD conversation became really prominent as I was coming of age. Right, I was always interested in in having a conversation with anybody who would talk, just trying to get a better understanding of what was going on. I mean, we saw firsthand at uh, the properties I hunted, and subsequently a farm that my my family now owns. We we saw impacts because of rules, and you know tag allocations that were put forth as a result. So I think maybe that laid a foundation and an interest in how the whole system really works. Um, it, it became more like hunting and conservation became more about, um, became more than just going out in the woods. Right. right. Like I wanted to be involved in the things behind the scenes that impacted people's experience of field. And that simply progressed. Uh, as I got more more involved in the outdoors, I moved west for a summer when I was 23. I was working on a, on a ranch in Colorado, and that was really the first extended period of time where I was exposed to public land, right? where I was on public land all the time. And I think that was really when the public land's movement was starting to gain a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. And definitely a product of all the the media conversations and and media coverage that came of it. And I've just tried to push the boundaries from there.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, you make a really good point there that being in the Western States, especially, and for guys like us who are, you know, originated in the Midwest, that, you know, there's there's a lot of public land hunting that goes on here in the Midwest, but you know, you just kind of alluded to, you know, your family has property, so you were probably, you know, maybe spent some time on public land, but probably spent maybe more on you know on private land. And I'm I'm the same way, um, but I've seen, you know, when I go out west, whether you know primarily for for fishing at this point, I mean, it's all these are all public you know public rivers and streams that that I'm fishing out there, and the movement that you that you mentioned, I mean, it's it's amazing to see of where things have come and where the narrative just around you know hunting and western hunting specifically has has gone over the last you know three to five years with this big um,
2: movement in public lands yep couldn't agree more and that's a good point you make kind of the difference between perhaps the the midwest and and the western states i mean i hunted on public land growing up it was kind of like an added bonus mm-hmm. you know we i was fortunate to be able to hunt some private farms had a great setup but maybe things weren't going right or we wanted to mix it up during the gun deer season we'd go drive we'd do a deer drive on a piece of public it was just kind of this extra thing it wasn't really viewed as that important quite frankly by most of the guys yeah yeah
1: no you, you make a good point where i think it's in the back of everyone's mind like it's it, it, it is important and and people see the value in it but if you're not you know actively spending your time on public land like it kind of tends to be a bit of an afterthought and it's really good to see especially companies like First Light that are taking such a stance to you know to protect public lands and making sure that there's access or you know opening new pieces of public land you know through access projects and things like that so it's it's really cool to see you know companies especially as as big as first light and as well known uh, as first light is in the hunting industry make that you know really a priority um as, as a business
2: yeah and that plays right into that same idea of how maybe people in the west viewed a little little differently compared to other parts of the country i mean we're surra- literally surrounded by public land here in Ketchum, Idaho, where we're headquartered. I mean, I went out for a run just before this, and I'm on public land, public trail. Um, 63% of the state's public land.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a huge percentage, especially for, yeah. you know, for a state the size of Idaho.
2: Yeah, it's gigantic. I mean, literally everything I enjoy doing, skiing, mountain biking, hunting, fishing, you name it is 99% of it is on public land
1: here yeah and I feel like the the whole conversation and the fight for public lands has has really started there in the west but as big game hunting especially like elk and mule deer has seemingly at least to me grown in popularity over the last you know decade let's say that that. Um, that conversation and that topic of public lands is starting to creep further and further to the East, to, you know, to the Midwest, to the Eastern States, to all these guys, <clears throat> excuse me, to all these guys who want to come out and, you know, enjoy that public land and chase those, you know, big game animals that we don't have the opportunity to in the Midwest.
2: Oh yeah. And I think that's one of the coolest things that's happening is like we we're saying, we grew up, the conversation wasn't necessarily taking place, but now that it is, it's spreading. Yeah. And that's a great thing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I, I could not agree more with you. Yeah. So, unless people have been kind of living under a rock for you know the last close to ten years, they're 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 familiar with First Light, um, you know, especially whether you're you know a Midwest guy or a Western guy, you know, First Light um, has kind of something for everyone. But for those that might not be familiar with First Light or have only heard the name. Tell us, you know, what it is that First Light has to offer as a company.
2: Yeah, so we were founded in 07. Uh, Scott Robinson, Kenton Cruz, great guys. Uh, they really laid the foundation for everything. Ryan Callahan was First Light's first employee. I'm sure many folks uh, may or may not know that, I guess, but he really instilled a, a conservation ethos within the fabric of the company moving forward. And... Things have changed a lot since those those three really got the ship sailing in the right direction. I think now we're at around 25 folks. Um, our bread and butter is merino wool. That's what we were founded on. We were the first company to print camouflage on merino wool, and we still take a lot of pride in offering the best merino on the market. So that's what we're most well known for it's turned into a full outerwear line from active insulation to soft shells to rank gear accessories you name it and we're not slowing down we're excited to see where it'll go but it's a performance hunting apparel line it's great for anything you're doing that involves activity in the outdoors and we do it all in the name of promoting hunting Access to the outdoors, conservation—you know—making sure we're doing it right on uh, that end of things is as important to us as promoting the sale of a particular product. It's a really, really cool culture that that we've been able to, to develop and and continue here.
1: Yeah, the the culture is, is definitely something that um, I want to touch on here uh, in a few minutes. Uh, I was telling—we were talking about it before we started recording that. I was introduced to to first light maybe four or five years ago uh, by a coworker at a previous job, and he was telling me about merino wool and at the time I you mean know, I was the guy who was you know wearing eight layers in the tree stand you know mid to late season to try to stay warm and it was just so ineffective and you know not efficient I mean you're out there you can barely draw your bow back because you have so many layers on right and he introduced me to first light and you know merino wool, and I was like. You know, what is this? You know, I, I, I never looked into it and I I haven't looked back and, you know, since I, I ordered my first piece, which I think was, I think it was like the Chama hoodie, I think was, yeah. was the first piece that, that I ordered. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's either in my pack or it's on me every time I'm in the woods. I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about Merino wool and first like, you know, gear in general.
2: Yeah. Glad to hear it, man. I mean, that's, that's what we hear resoundingly and that's a really cool thing about Merino and our product line. It's Once you use it and you have that aha moment, it's, it's hard to argue against it. It's game changing and it's a fun part of the business, right? It's like helping guys enjoy their time, guys, gals, everybody have a a better time in the woods because they're not worrying about their gear. It's super rewarding to be a part of that process.
1: Yeah. And, and it just, like you just said, it it makes your experience in the woods that much you know that much better and if you know if you're you know warmer or you're more comfortable you can you know stay you know stay in the mountains longer you can you know sit more still or sit quieter in a tree stand you know depending on you know what animal you're chasing so yeah there's the benefits to merino wool i mean we mentioned it again before we started recording here that you know we could Get on a slippery slope here and and head down a gear conversation real quick. So I was gonna try and, you know, keep it uh keep it between the white lines here. So all good. good. (laughs) So what was it about First Light that kind of drew you in and, and made you want to be a part of that culture?
2: Yeah. I uh little backstory. I was working seasonally as a as a fly fishing guide and had just gotten into guide elk and deer hunts and, um, and to make ends meet I was swinging a hammer working carpentry back home in Wisconsin so I was super nomadic I was bouncing all over the place um, I'd been doing that for almost a handful of years post-college and loving it I mean just kind of flying by the seat of my pants living to. <laughs> but I think I saw pretty early on that that wasn't um wasn't the long term path I had in mind. I didn't see it as a super sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. And um, I'd made the decision that I wanted to move west full time. And I knew I could string the guide seasons together and, and make it work in between. But I figured, hey, I might as well look into some brands I, or companies I respected. At the same time, I had this whole thing in my head where I was unwilling to work for a corporation. I. <laughs> I'm just not gonna do that to myself it was it was like a non-negotiable so I thought anyway I called First Light um, because I I saw the image they put out and I'd used the gear I believed in the gear I knew they were a voice for sportsmen for conservation Uh, I just really dug their whole presentation of of what they were about and the more I read up on the company, it sounded like I could potentially be a good fit if I could ever get a foot in the door. Right. And I also knew where it was located and being a guy <laughs> <laughs> that was a big part of it. Um, you know, it's it's a mountain town, right? Right in the heart of the Rockies here in Idaho. I love to do a lot of different things. I love to Hunt upland birds and waterfall with, with my lab. I love doing big game. I love to ski and bike, and this place has it all and and fish. Can't forget about all the different activities. Sometimes, anyway, it basically just checked all the boxes for me. The biggest question mark was, is it corporate atmosphere? Is it right? Like, what's it really like? Um, getting a foot in the door and it's, it's been a challenge at times since starting work here, having to spend time at the desk, but it also affords some incredible opportunities that I've been, been very thankful and fortunate to have.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it seems to me that anyone who has, anyone who loves the outdoors, who loves to hunt, loves to fish, whatever the case is, right. The, the kind of the, the dream scenario or the dream job would be to work for one of these gear companies to work for an outdoor company. So of take me under the hood a little bit i mean what is what is the culture like i mean you touched on it you know a little bit before but what is you know what is it like at at first light offices there
2: well it's super laid back most of the time we know that we're not making pacemakers (laughs) we try to keep it real um we're serious about our jobs you know we we have a job to do and we're all part of our respective teams and we want to pull our weight and we want to keep the ship moving in the right direction. But day to day, I mean, obviously the COVID world's a little, little different. Yeah. But, um, when things are fairly normal, there's in many cases, more dogs and humans in the office, <laughs> <laughs> which is just a joy most of the time. Yeah. Um, most mornings start with drinking coffee and especially during hunting season it's just recapping what in the world happened the night before because the the work hard hunt hard lifestyle is is a very real thing for us. I mean the vast majority of people in the company I mean it starts this weekend with our archery antelope season. We hunt darn some of us hunt darnier every day. Yeah. Through archery antelope, into archery elk right into the mule deer, and then into the bird season we're really lucky to be able to hunt after work out our door. So it's a lot of BS in and in between it, trying to get the job done put a good foot forward.
1: Yeah. I'd imagine that, um, especially like as you start to really get into the meat of, of the seasons, whether it's archery elk or mule deer that, um, people who want to take, you know, any type of extended vacation, you know, if they want to go spend four or five days in the mountains that it gets a little bit tricky. I got to imagine it's almost like a first come first serve because like you said, there's still work that, uh, that needs to be done, you know, even, even though you guys all want to get out there and chase around some game.
2: Yeah, that's a balance. We always are, are striving to keep in check. We're really fortunate in that, like I said, we've got a, got a great team of folks, just good people that are willing to cover for you if you've got something really important to you or special that you want to partake in um, usually if you want to make something happen you can make it happen
1: yeah
2: at the same time that all depends on doing a good job make sure your work's done you know we take a lot of personal ownership of what we do we're trusted to do our jobs and as long as things are done well get after it
1: yeah now <laughs> it, it, this may seem kind of like a, a silly or an obvious question but why is conservation so important to First Light?
2: I think it probably, probably most importantly, we recognize that our business depends on it. Maybe right. not most importantly, but it's it's certainly a huge part of it. Um, we were founded by backcountry archery elk hunters that hunt on public land, and that's still our core. Customer, people that spend their their important time on public land hunting, fishing, and recreating, right? Right. If we don't have public land if we don't have access. If we don't have um, just you know good solid rights for sportsmen, we don't have a business. Right. <laughs> we recognize that and we understand that it's important for for our well-being to ensure. Um, people have the opportunity to hunt fish and recreate so that's huge. Um, I also just think it's the right thing to do and that's yeah. that's it's just a key or a core part of quite frankly being an american <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
1: that's very well said because like we talked about earlier, I mean so many people just take it for granted right the the public lands i mean in you know even you know more so than the public lands just. opportunities to to chase these wild game like it's always going to be there because it's always been there before us and you know a lot of people don't know you know kind of the kind of the the trials and tribulations with with some of the big game whether it's you know turkey or elk or the white tailed deer uh you know the buffalo is is a great example of of conservation and bringing a a species kind of you know back to a a manageable state so yet to see a company like first light that puts such an emphasis. On conservation and giving back in the outdoors is is to me it's really refreshing. Uh, it's it's very easy to support a company like that, and and that's why you know I, I'll I'll never switch from from using you know first leg gear.
2: Yeah, and that's a huge point right there. I mean, your personal story, Marcus. I mean, yeah, people see that they see the work we're doing, and it jives with them, and they appreciate it, and that's a big part of our success as a company and it's done in a good name it's good for everybody it it just seems like the right way to do business to us
1: yeah it's it's the american thing to do right i think that's what that's what you said
2: we're so fortunate in this country especially to have what we have in in the public lands system and what comes with it right like the right to hunt and fish and recreate Um, it's not just public lands that make that possible but in the west is certainly the biggest factor
1: yeah and it's uh it's it's kind of funny so when i was first introduced to first light like i just i like the idea of the merino um i loved the the fusion pattern that you guys had and i was like oh man this is this is perfect especially for here in the midwest and then as any hunter does as they start to take a deep dive into gear and really start looking at well i've never used this but i could definitely use it you know um that's when i started to learn about what, you know, First Light was doing in the name of conservation and what they were doing. I mean, I think even from my first purchase where, you know, you could round up to conservation based on, you know, whatever your order was, or you could just pick, um, you know, one of maybe a handful or, you know, five or 10 different organizations that First Light works with that you could just make a donation to on top of your purchase. And, and something like that is, is awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We try to make it easy for people to become part of the process um, you know the roundup program being one of them that on any order we're going to give you the the opportunity or option to donate to a group that we believe is doing good work in the field just yeah, a direct yeah. line to fund the, to fund people who are doing good work in conservation in a lot of the different areas now,
1: now with the employees at first light there i know you guys spend a lot of time giving back whether it's time or money or both um, With the employees that you have there, would you say it's almost like you don't really they don't have to be asked to to spend their time, you know, doing, you know, fence poles or, you know, cleaning up trailheads or, you know, these big land stewardship, you know, projects that you guys maybe are, you know, working with uh, are working on with with other organizations. I mean, is that something that, you know, is just kind of instilled into employees when when they come on board or is it something that kind of has to be taught to them?
2: I think it's just comes with the territory. It's weaved into that culture um, regularly. The conversations we're having revolve around kind of the latest news in the conservation world, you know, for example, when the great American outdoors act was going through, we were, just, we we're just talking about it and BS'ing about it. Like, what's it mean? Like, what's it do? Like, what is this? That's one example. Um, certain g- guys and gals are, Passionate about passionate about certain things and everybody has their kind of respective interest within the outdoors, right? Yep so when it comes to How people get involved in conservation with first light it? It's hard to say like we're involved in corporate giving Uh, we do a lot of advocacy and education like we have two guys who Have become hunter education instructors Um, we do offer opportunities through the company where we'll formally you know, create a plan with like IDFG Idaho Fishing Game. We'll go do a seed collection or a sagebrush planting, and we'll let the whole company know so everybody can participate if they want. That's just a quick overview of different ways, but there's just kind of always something going on that's conservation oriented. It, it's just weaved into who we are and what we do.
1: Yeah, so that kind of takes me to my next question there was what are some stuff or some, whether it's organizations or projects that First Light uh, as a company is working on or is kind of continually working on?
2: Yep, so I mean the Roundup program's a good one to talk about. Um, For anybody who doesn't know what it is, anytime you go to firstlight.com and place an order, you can choose to donate um, a dollar or more, you know, whatever you you feel like giving to uh, s- select number of organizations that we have personal that we have personal relationships with. Um, it's groups that we believe are doing particularly good work in the field. Well, it's just a quick, easy way um, for us to partake in essentially corporate giving. Yeah, yeah. Um, we participate in corporate dona- donations, corporate giving, and a lot of other ways to. Um, Say, BHA's having a pint night, Um, we can donate a gift card or a piece of gear to raffle off things like as small as that to being like, say, a premium sponsor of BHA. We put a lot of dollars into the program that way. That's one thing. Um, The other is advocacy and education. Um, a lot of our messaging, our outward customer-facing messaging, is about informing people of what's going on in the world of conservation. What's important? What should people know? If we hear something interesting and we think it's good for our audience to hear it, we'll we'll put it out there. It's a priority of ours to to spread the word.
1: Yeah. Now, do you think that that kind of started? I know. <clears throat> when you said uh, like Ryan Callahan, for example, there was was the first actual employee other than the two founders there. I mean, and you said he kind of laid the groundwork. I mean, what was it like? I know he's, you know, with Meat Eater now and now obviously First Light is a, is a part of Meat Eater and everything yeah. like that. But what was, you know, what was kind of his message or how did he kind of, you know, set the tone for, you know, future employees and, and really
2: kind of help shape the culture that's there now? You know, it was already pretty far along by the time I got my foot in the door, but very early on it was clear to me that it was about more than just talking the talk, it was about walking the walk as well. It wasn't wasn't just about talking about what's happening, It, it was also about actively engaging in the system, get out and vote when it's relevant. If there's a chance to volunteer in a project, go get your hands dirty. Don't just sit there and talk, right? Like mm-hmm. actually do something. Um, that's that's been the culture all along. I maybe didn't speak to that in answering the question before, but we absolutely do a lot where we're we're actively on our feet working too. It's not just just giving money and talking about it. Mm-hmm. The other part, and arguably the most important is actively being a part of the process. So doing things like, um seed collection and plannings with IDFG and that's one example. Um we got a slew of projects that are kind of taking shape as we're growing here that we can be more involved in as well. Um even things as simple as like going to a local fish and game meeting. I think a bunch of us went down the two winters ago now when they were revising the elk management plan for Idaho. Just going and hearing it, hearing out fish and game and being a part of that conversation, being a part of the process.
1: Yeah, because I'd imagine that as, as sportsmen and sportswomen that are partaking in a lot of these, you know, activities that, you know, if you don't speak up when you have the opportunity, you don't really have a leg to stand on if you want to see change. You know what I mean? It's I mean, it's the the same kind of outlook and process that we take when it comes to, to voting for, you know, elected officials in any capacity. Right. You, your voice needs to be heard. If not, you don't really have you can't complain or, or whine about it if, if you don't do anything, if you don't do your your part, your civil duty to try to, you know, make a change and and let your voice be heard.
2: Yeah, and I think it's easy these days for people to, to try to frankly be lazy and just not take the time to be active. I mean, especially when it comes to to advocating for something, um, like when this whole Great American Outdoors Act is going through it, Probably easy for a lot of people to not pick up a phone and make a phone call and contact your your congressman or your senator. It it takes like three minutes to do. It's yeah. a small thing, but it's an easy way to actively be involved in a smaller side of government.
1: Well, yeah, and and that's just it. Is it's like it's two to three minutes of your time. I mean. You spend more time than that scrolling through Instagram or Facebook every day, right? I mean, to, to pick up your phone and, and, you know, make a difference and let your voice be heard is as, as outdoorsmen and outdoors women, like that's the least that we can do, right?
2: Yeah, and I think it's becoming the cool thing to do now, thankfully. Uh, I think it's moving in a, in a really good direction and we certainly need it. We need more hunters, we need more people advocating for hunting, fishing in the outdoors with where we currently stand.
1: Yeah, you you made a, you said something that's that's kind of hitting the nail on the head there, where it's kind of become the cool thing to do, right? And that's, and that's all the better because you know if more people you know get involved, if people don't want to you know kind of have that feel, you know that feeling of of missing out, you know they don't have the the FOMO from missing a pint night or not being able to tell their buddies um, that they called their senator, they called their congressman. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing what that 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 need for inclusion kind of kind of does to us especially in the hunting community that's that's so small i mean no one wants to be the guy or the girl who's like you know oh no i didn't i didn't make a call like i i figured it was going to pass this this vote or or something like that so it's it's really cool to see how active people have really become over the last you know i for maybe it's just since i've been paying closer attention you know the last 3 to 5 years
2: oh yeah no it's it is a movement <laughs> It's a great, great time to be a part of it, a fun time to be a part of it. And yeah, if, if you don't see it, just start paying attention more. Some great things are happening.
1: Yeah. And I've talked about this with some of my other guests, and I think it's almost like a, a changing of the guard in terms of people who are spending a majority of their time outdoors, right? You're getting a lot of the you know millennials, the Gen Xers that are kind of really at the forefront of a lot of things in the outdoors and for better or for worse i mean everyone wants to have their voice heard and they want to be part of change you know whatever that change may be and you know fortunately for for us as as outdoorsmen and outdoors women i mean those voices are are making a huge impact i mean like you said the great american outdoors act and just the 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 way that i think organizations like bha rmbf you know i mean there's hundreds of of great conservation organizations out there that during this time when everyone's stuck at home, you know, you're not able to have like meetings and, and pint nights to, um, you know, kind of rally around things that we are able to, you know, get this through the house or through the Senate, through the house, and then get a signature by the president, uh, you know, all while it, it, things are very uncertain right now. So, I mean, I think it just speaks volumes to, you know, the dedication that this new generation of hunters and anglers have.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's just really, really great to see. It's great to be a part of it too. Um, I was actually talking with a buddy earlier today about it. My old man turned 64 yesterday. Um, you know, he's worked hard his whole life. He loves to hunt and fish as we talked about earlier. He's got a mule deer tag here in, in Idaho. He's supposed to come out and kind of going to be like me taking dad on a hunt, yeah. around, you know, and he's all tied up with the product he's got going. He's like, ah, if it doesn't go through, I, I don't know if I'll be able to make it happen. And my buddy Kevin, his dad's kind of the same way. I, they've always prioritized work and hunting and fishing was more of a leisure activity. Not that it still isn't for most of us, but we were talking about how fortunate we feel that that generation really laid a framework for us to spend as much time in the field and be as engaged in what's going on surrounding hunting and fishing and public lands movement. Um, like Without without them kind of putting in the work and laying the, that frame for us, if you will, I feel we wouldn't be where we're at. I think there's a ton of, Folks in that older generation that just kind of went to work because they had to, mm-hmm. and they were all tied up in life and what was going on with the times. And nowadays, we're so fortunate, quite frankly. Well, in my opinion, it's one of the best times to be alive. Things are, um, we can live a pretty comfortable life if we so choose. We're really fortunate for the freedom yeah. we have. And at the same time, people still want to be involved in something, they want to help, they want to make a difference. And right now, they have the opportunity to do that and help leave the hunting community and, and the fishing community and the outdoor community a better place by getting involved in what's going on, and that's the public lands movement and access law. It's widespread. I don't, have yeah. to, I don't know how to put a finger on exactly what it is. The public lands movement's probably the most widespread thing I hear, but it's kind of that overall theme.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that probably stems from, you know, a lot of the uh Western style hunting. I mean, has at least in in the circles that I kind of see, like it has a little bit of a bigger voice, and maybe it's just because it's kind of spread out through such a big area in the West there, where, you know, in the Midwest it's you know, it, it's it's kind of primarily from a big game standpoint, you know, whitetail. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I mean there's certainly issues surrounding white tail i mean we talked about it again before we started recording with cwd or maybe you touched on it when we first started here but i mean that's you know that's a big thing for us to to try to combat here in the midwest and i know that you know uh qdma and the national deer alliance with their recent merger i mean they're going to put a big emphasis on you know research and how they can you know try and mitigate that or or lessen the impact uh, as much as possible going forward And, you know, it's funny, you you talked about, you know, the kind of the groundwork that that our parents and and grandparents laid for us to to have these opportunities. And one of the things that I've talked about with a lot of guests um, prior to to speaking with you today is the turning point when they have kids themselves and they want, they kind of think back to all the stuff that they did when they were a kid growing up with their dad and uncles and stuff like that. And, all of a sudden, it's like, man, I want to be able to pass all of this great stuff on to my kids. So that forces them or that causes them to to take a, a big step towards, you know, getting involved. And I mean, if that's what it ta- I mean, whatever it takes really, in my opinion, to to become more involved, to become more active. And you don't have to be some superstar conservationist, right? You just just do your part, you know?
2: Yeah, just do what you can. And that's different for everybody mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be super yeah like like you're saying the sexiest thing in conservation <laughs> it's just you know it doesn't have to be high profile or glossy whatever it is i mean even as we alluded to just taking time to pick up the phone if you're trying to get a law through a law passed a you know, piece of legislation just just making the time for it i think and facilitating the conversation around it when you can that's a start
1: yeah. And and we all and, you know, in conservation, isn't this journey where there's like a an end, an end goal. Right. I mean, it's it's constantly evolving. And one of the people that I had spoke to early on in the podcast said that he's hoping that we can get to a point where we're being proactive instead of reactive. And I thought that that was that was a very good way to look at it, because whether it's, you know, a lot of public land trying to be sold off or being sold off or like the pebble mine, for example, up in Alaska, um, that's a really hot button issue right now that we're trying to get, you know, that, you know, uh, outdoorsmen and outdoors women are trying to get shut down and mitigate any, you know, damage done to, to Bristol Bay up there. You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing what, you know, us as a, collection of of individuals can do when we all kind of put our mind to, and we all have the same common goal. But, you know, again, being proactive instead of reactive and getting out ahead of these things. So we're not trying to fight this uphill battle all the time.
2: Yeah. And that, you know, in presenting that idea to me, it seems like a more of a cultural, cultural challenge, right? Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we teach the next generation? How do we teach young people? how to be proactive or, or why it's worth being proactive, right? Um, hopefully we're in a place where we don't have to be so reactive yeah. and then and we that was- have a framework for those people to, to put the right foot forward. Yeah.
1: And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping like out of this podcast and, you know, I, I speak with a lot of 2% committee members, 2%, you know, certified businesses like First Light, like yourself and, and really kind of at the end of the day, like if, if people love nothing more than just to hear, you know, cool stories of individuals or, you know, cool companies and what they're doing to, to give back to conservation. Like my hope is that it, it motivates people. It, it, wa- it allows them to, you know, maybe step out of their comfort zone to get involved or maybe see that, you know, there's a lot of just regular people out there that have a regular job, but they spend, you know, Two or three weekends a month or one weekend a month, you know, doing a trail cleanup, um, whatever the case may be, that it's not that hard. It makes a big difference. And it's just going to solidify that, you know, these streams and these wild places that are out there are still going to be there for you know generations to come. And, you know, if not be the same, you know, be better than than what they are at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it's worth putting in the work, it's worth fighting for. I mean, if you don't understand that it is, that's too bad, but anybody that does, anybody that enjoys hunting and fishing in the outdoors, I think for the most part gets it, and it's more about just kind of giving them, I think giving people that maybe don't know how to get involved the tools to get involved and and helping them understand the different avenues they they can use to make a difference.
1: Yeah, because there's, you know, with conservation, there's so many different ways that you can get involved, right? It doesn't have to be every single thing that's going on. You don't have to join every single organization that's out there, you know, find out, you know, figure out what's important to you as a, as an outdoorsman or an outdoors woman, and just, and just get involved, you know, make a phone call, you know, go to a meeting, you know, whatever it is, you know, buy a membership, you know, that, that goes a long ways, even if you're not going to be actively, um, you know, participating in whatever that organization's doing. I mean, just, you know, 35 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it is. I mean, that goes a long way in making sure that, you know, these, these organizations can fund these projects and, you know, be, you know, an advocate and have a louder voice uh, in the arena of, you know, public lands and wild places.
2: Yeah. it's something we hear all the time. I and mean, we, we have people reach out regularly wondering how to get involved or, or where they should get involved. Like, a common thing I'll hear even on the social media side of things like direct messages people say hey I really I really like what you guys are doing I want to get more involved in conservation who should I support what groups should I support that's a that seems to be a common mm-hmm. ask of folks and my usual usual response is where do you live and what do you like to do most of the time or what do you like to hunt? And like oh, I'm a bird hunter. Like, well, maybe you should check out Buttons Forever. Like, yeah, oh, I'm a bird hunter. So, like, well, maybe you should check out QDMA Like, I love more than anything. It's so, like well, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's great. You know, just something that aligns with your interests, something you can get on board with. That's a that's a great place to start.
1: Yeah, no, I <clears throat> I I could not agree more, and and I hope that you know even just when people listen to this episode when it comes out that it kind of sparks a little something in them that makes them want to you know get involved and you know take an active role in in making sure things are are in a better position Mm
2: -hmm. so
1: now with first light i don't know how much you can talk about here but i gotta ask a couple gear questions here just because for the people that are listening they're gonna be like man all they did was talk about conservation the whole time like why didn't he ask any questions about gear so i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and i don't know how much you can kind of divulge because obviously you guys have your process and you don't want to give anything away, but is there some cool stuff that kind of in the pike or, you know, that are coming down from first light that, you know, that guys can look, you know, like myself can look forward to.
2: Oh yeah. Always. Every year there's something coming down the pipe. Uh, I can't, I can't talk about next year's stuff um, too in depth. Um, I mean, what we have this year, we just, came out with those new zip-off long johns and food tops, which it's not a new thing. Like KU's been making them for quite some time. And before that, they were a, they were an item in the outdoor industry. Um, but we just tried to do them better than they've ever been done. They're pretty sweet, they're super comfortable. Uh, they don't have any hot spots if you're wearing, wearing a pack. They're built with the best wool on the market. Um, that's gonna be a game changer for a lot of people this year um, aside from that I think it's worth mentioning just so people are aware when we bring something to market it's it's addressing a specific need um, so I, the new line every year is intended to to uh, solve a problem um, and, and fit into or fit into a collection that we're trying to build out so for instance this year we did the Brooks down vest just an extra ultralight packable layer minimalist piece that guys can use under their jacket in a tree stand or (laughs) it's okay. Um, My buddy's girlfriend's stopping by. All right. We're going to grab the dog. Um, But yeah, what I'm getting at is each year a piece comes out. If people are wondering, Oh, what's this for? It's like, there's a reason. Yeah. If you want to call and ask us, we'll tell you. Um, or if you think about it a little more critically, you'll you'll probably discover why we built it.
1: Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I like about First Light is how accessible customer service is and and how willing they are to, you know, answer questions. Um, I mean, I see like on the different forums and, you know, even on social media posts and stuff like that, where, you know, like, oh, if you got a question, just call the shop. Right. And mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that especially for me, you know, here in the Midwest and since um first light has gone direct to consumer is that, you know, I don't have the ability to try stuff on in in gear shops or, or, you know, bow shops or anything like that anymore. I mean, thankfully I've kind of come to a point where, you know, I know what my sizing is and I know what to expect out of materials and things like that. But, you know, for, for guys that haven't had that luxury, you know, you guys are super accessible and, and I wish that more companies were like that out there because it's, it, it, it really helps out guys who who don't have the the luxury of of being able to you know touch and feel something that they may already have.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And that's you know being direct to consumer that is a challenge. You can't touch and feel it. You can't try it on. We we get that. Uh, we try to mitigate it the best we can. But the cool thing, and you mentioned it, is you can call us. Yeah. And anybody you talk to. Um, on the other end of that phone knows the gear inside and out they're conversational folks if you're just open and honest about what you're trying to do and and looking for we're gonna give you a straight answer and do our best to understand what's going to work best for you yeah it's a fun model to be a part of
1: and one of the things i really like too is that you you know the first light employees like they're they're users, right? I mean, they're they're out in the in the back country, you're, you know, in the whitetail woods, whatever the case is. I mean, they're they're using the products too. So they have, you know, not they're not just like reading off a script and saying, oh, you know, you hunt whitetail, like oh, you should try this jacket, and you know why? Well, because that's you know that's what my script says. No, yeah. I mean, because because I used it for you know 25 days, you know, in the field last year, and I can tell you exactly why we came out with this piece and you know the features and and everything like that. So. To, to stand behind a product and to be able to explain to your, to your customers is, is awesome.
2: Yeah. It goes a long ways. I think too. Um, it's not like talking to a guy at a big box store that might have some familiarity with yeah. brand, let alone a specific piece of gear, you know, and you call us, we want to ensure that your, the end user's experience is the best it can be. That's uh, if, if if we're not ensuring that we're not doing a good job, right? It's it's in our best interest as a company to make sure the gear performs for you, and that we get you in the right piece. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: I won't try and uh, get any more information out of you about gear, but I definitely look forward to uh, to seeing what First Light has come out, you know, in the future. I'm always always looking to spend some money <laughs> if
2: yeah. if I can. <laughs> it's only getting better and better. Right feel very confident saying that always improving always addressing problems uh next year will be a a good year but I cannot no that's all right that's all right I'll
1: I'll wait just like everyone else so that's okay yeah (laughs) well Paul I really appreciate you taking some time today man um I love what First Light's doing and you know for those out there listening if you haven't tried First Light or if you haven't looked into them definitely be sure to because it's it's, you know, it, it's super high quality gear and it's a company that, you know, is giving back to conservation and, you know, conservation at its core is, is part of, of their company ethos. So it's it's definitely someone that you guys should be supporting.
2: Yeah, and if people want to check it out, it's easy, the, the website's pretty fun, pretty interactive. It, you know, you can learn about what we're doing. Um, obviously, our social social media channels we're super active on there. If you need something, you can reach out to us on any of the platforms. We're super responsive.
1: Yeah, and if for those listeners, if you have an issue with one of the posts, Paul's the guy to blame. I'm the guy.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna hear it. <laughs> well,
1: thanks again, Paul. I appreciate it. Um, you know, best of luck as uh your seasons open up there in the next uh couple days and hopefully we can talk to you again soon.
2: Yeah, same to you, Marcus.
1: All right, take care, man. Thanks, man. Bye. All right. Well, a big thank you to Paul for taking some time to jump on the podcast today. Uh, I'd like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier. Be sure and check them out, stoneglacier.com. I'd also like to thank our partners over at 2% for Conservation. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation, uh, including stone glacier including first light uh, that you should support when you shop for your gear Um, i encourage you to follow two percent on social media where you're going to see nothing but very um, positive conservation driven content uh, on their various feeds Uh, again if you'd like to learn more about two percent for conservation you can look for them online on their social media or on their website fishinwildlife.org Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, Stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.